0: Well, Lindsay, are you ready? I am. Lindsay Roberts, come on up and, and just empty out on all this group. Praise thank
1: God. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Thank, yeah. you. thank you. Wow. Hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. I brought my props too. <laughs> hallelujah. 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 Remember yesterday I talked about teamwork makes the dream work? Let's all pray together. And you know what? I was going to do this at the end, weird, but I feel like since you started the meeting politically and now since the Johnson Amendment has been changed, let's just begin to pray for leaders of our nation and pray for those who need to be leaders of our nation. Father, in the name of Jesus, this was not what I planned, but you know what? Who cares? I ask you, Father God, right now in the name of Jesus to work the plan. Lord God, I pray for leaders of our nation. I pray for President Trump right now. Lord God, I'm asking you to anoint that man and appoint that man and to protect that man and his family. Lord, as the fiery darts come in right now, we apply the balm of Gilead from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. I pray those fiery darts just are buffeted off of him and he has no effect of it in any way. Lord God, he is the leader of this nation. I couldn't care less what party he represents. He represents me. And so, God, in the name of Jesus, as a citizen of the United States of America, I pray for the leader of my nation. And since he's the leader of my nation, I thank you, Jesus, for ministering to my president in every way. Lord, keep him healthy, keep him happy. Let the joy of the Lord be his strength. Give him divine wisdom. The wisdom of Solomon, the blessing of Abraham, the mind of Christ, the spirit of David. Lord God, I am asking you that you would give him the protection of every angel necessary. For him, for his family, and for all of his surroundings. Lord, for those who are with us, let them be with us. Those that are against it, Lord, deal with them. And Lord, for those who need to be politically active, Lord God... Not only give them the thoughts, give them the abilities, and give them the finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, and the title of my message is Now Oral. Everybody say, Now Oral. Oral. You know, we've been telling really nice Oral Roberts stories. Any story that starts with Now Oral is not a good story. (laughs) Oral Roberts used to have this habit... And he used to sit on the chairs, and I know Jerry and Carolyn will know this one. He would sit on the chairs on all four legs, and he would lean back on purpose to make Evelyn mad. Because then Evelyn would say, now, Oral, I told you not to do that. And, of course, that's what happened. We'd all break out in laughter. And you, you can't reprimand Oral Roberts. Only God can reprimand Oral Roberts. And not all the time did he do such a hot job at it. So he would sit on the chair in the kitchen table, and right behind it was kind of like a built-in desk, and on top of the desk was a little tiny television. I am not kidding. It was a rabbit ear television. Evelyn Roberts would not buy new for all the tea in China. And the, the thing worked, so she kept it. So she would have this little TV on the desk, and she would always sit and do the dishes or cook or do whatever, and they would always sit at the kitchen table, and she'd turn that television on whenever she wanted to. And so to make her mad, he would lean on the chair, and he'd rock back on the two legs and she'd say now oral don't do that and he'd do it again and he'd do it again and of course she prophesied oral one day you're going to fall and i'm not going to help you and he'd laugh and he'd get on that chair staring her right in the face leaning back on two legs and one day sure as shooting we were sitting there and he flipped over completely Knocked the television off. He knocked all the stuff on the counter off. He knocked everything on the table off. He said, Evelyn, come help me. And you know what she said? She said, no. I told you not to do that. <laughs> so he looked at us. Who do you, oh, whose side do you pick, Oral or Evelyn? We picked Evelyn, of course. <laughs> if Evelyn Roberts said, don't do it, uh-uh, I'm on her side. No, no. God likes Evelyn best uh-uh, no. So the other day we were goofing off and I have a, a set of the dining room chairs and I said to Richard, why well, this chair leg is broken. We both looked at each other, what we say? Now oral. <laughs> and that was always a term that everybody knew. Now to this day, If anybody looks like there's going to be a controversy, my kids will all look at each other and go, now oral, and everybody giggle because it was funny. He had this habit of where he would pull up and before the door, uh, before the car was stopped, he'd open the door and jump out. How he did not get crushed by a car, I don't know. But he would do it always to me. And he'd jump out. And or and the kids would always yell at him. My children, so respectful of their grandfather, the great Oral Roberts. Now, Oral, shut the door. And we would all laugh. And to this day, if anybody even begins to crack their door open too soon, we all yell, Oral, shut the door. And those words stuck in us. And they had great meaning. Oral was lovely. Now, Oral was trouble. And you always knew when it meant oral was going to get it, everybody would come and run and laugh because everyone was really funny reprimanding oral. But those words were phrases that everybody knew in our household, and they stuck, and they've never been changed. Even now, with oral in heaven, those phrases have never been changed. Today I want to talk to you about headliners and one-liners. One line from God can change your life forever. One word from God. Now, I want you to see the commas here. One word can change your life forever. One word from God, comma, can change your life forever. If you do not include from God in that sentence, you may be headed on a very, very, very dangerous path. I had a great-grandfather who was a precious man. I only had him around my life until he was six years, until I was six years old. He was in his 90s. He had his own hair. He had his own teeth. He didn't wear glasses. He had his own hearing. And he used to say every day, a better day, every step, a better step. I'm getting better and better in every way every day. I love this man. And he also had another saying, and he used to say, believe half of what you see and none of what you read. I didn't really understand it. Six years old, 61 years old. Yeah, I get it real good now. Believe half of what you see and none of what you read. Because the naysayers and the gainsayers are out for your thinking and your believing. And if they can get you to think wrong and believe wrong and believe the lies of the devil, then you turn around and repeat the lies of the devil. Then you begin to live the lies of the devil. And then you begin to gossip about the lies of the devil. And then all the other people go down the tube with you. So one-liners and headliners can change your life forever. These are actual... Actual headlines in actual newspapers. Homicide victim won't talk to police. Y'all didn't get that. He's dead. Of course he's not going to talk to the police. The homicide victim, the dead guy, won't talk to the police. Hello. This was my favorite. I don't know why. There's something really bad about this one that just tickled me. City unsure why sewer smells. Seriously, the headlines? Okay, this one. (laughs) (laughs) 17 found dead in the morgue. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I want to say, you idiot. 17 found dead in the morgue. Well, what would they be? These are headlines. These aren't like bottom of the barrel. These are headlines. Okay. Big, big rig, these tickle me more than they're tickling you, I think. Big rig carrying fruit on the freeway creates jam. <laughs> People get paid to write headlines. Here's a this is one that I think is like totally brilliant. Bug <laughs> Bugs flying around with wings flying bugs (laughs) oh my gosh bugs flying around with wings are flying bugs these are headlines in big newspapers and here we go (laughs) I mean how dumb can you be right federal agent raiding gun shop finds guns again you idiot <laughs> what else are they looking for <laughs> believe half of what you see and none of what you read don't buy the lie i did a i did an experiment once with a big group of people and i put two things in a sack in a brown paper sack i had one paper sack here and one paper sack here and there were food ingredients so i put one in one bag one in the other and i read the ingredients of both bags And I told whoever I picked out of the audience, come up and pick the bag you want. One of them was meat, and chicken, and this, and this, and this, and it was whole grain this, and then it was um, omega-3s, and all of that. The other one was something like Blue Lake Number 7, Red Dye 2, and on and on and on. So of course the person picked the bag with the meat in it. It was Alpo dog food. (laughs) And the one with all the ingredients that he couldn't even name was a cupcake that comes in those packages, not sprinkles. And I said, you want to change your mind? And she said, yeah, actually, I'd rather have the cupcake. Well, now here is the dilemma. Anything that really was pure was packaged as dog food. Anything that really is almost toxic was packaged as wonderful. Hello, the world we're living in good looking like evil evil looking like good we're looking at such pure ingredients of the holy spirit of healing of god's goodness and and honestly the way the world talks about us it's like we're dog food and we're looking at the counterfeit that has no food in their food and this person chose to make a change well i understand you don't want to eat the dog food but to be honest with you you'd probably be better off if you did And we don't recognize that we are being sold a bill of goods. And many times we pick up the newspaper, we read the news, we do this, we do that. And then here's the toxic part. You begin to believe it and then you believe it so much because you hear it, you know, around the world so many times over and over and over. So it has to be true. So then you begin to repeat it and you find out the news source, the source of that news was the guy sitting next to him saying, I'll be the unnamed source. And that that is how they do it. So you got liar, liar, pants on fire, and you're not able to process what is fake news, shake and bake news, real news, all this other garbage. And so your mind begins to process what you're reading and what you're hearing, what you're thinking. As a man thinketh in his own heart, so he becomes. And without the filter of the Holy Spirit, I tell you what, these days we're in serious trouble. So I say this, back to half of what you believe None of what you read. One word from God can change your life forever. This is for Jerry. Cinderella is proof positive that one pair of shoes can change your life forever. One pair of shoes can change your life forever. I was I wear a size eight and a half. And in wearing my size eight and a half shoe. I can teeter between an eight and a half and a nine if they're boots. And so I was at this kind of, I think you call it like a discount store, and they had all these boxes of shoes, and so many of them, you have to take your own shoes off at the door so you don't switch them in the boxes. I shop at some of the most high places. You just can't even imagine. Then you got to crawl up on the ladders and find what you get. And you can't take your purse, you just can only take your wallet in, right? So here I am. Why I was there is a mystery to me, but... Here I am, and I found my, my uh, fabulous discount. You see, a sale is 50%. That's garbage to me. Right. Yeah. God's kind of a sale is when it starts at 90%. Listen, if I give God the tithe, I don't want to pay more than that for my shoes. So I'm sitting there at this sale shoe store. Someday, I'll tell you what, someday I should repent over that because this was some shoe store. But I got my shoes. So I went in there, and it was a fabulous pair of shoes, but it was only a pair. There was only one. So I began to dig around and I began to hunt and I finally went up to the front and I asked the lady there, can you find me the second pair? And she said, well, just look in the eight and a halves. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Why didn't I think of that, right? I said, I've been through every box in the eight and a halves and I really want these shoes, but there's only one in it. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, go look in the sevens. And I'm like, well, if they're on sale enough, I will try and get my size eight and a half, nine shoe into that seven. I am not against it. What size do you wear? What size is on sale? So I was going to go, look, I am, climb- every woman in the room shook their head on that one, right? Amen, right? So I climbed up the ladder of the sevens, and lo and behold, there was the box of the seven that had my one pair of eight and a half shoe. And I got climbed back down and went to buy my shoes, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said this, I was just wondering if you were listening. Wow. Wow. Be careful what you hear and who you hear it from. One word from God can change your life forever. Everybody, say suddenly. suddenly. See, I'm praying for a suddenly right now. I'm praying for a suddenly right now. I got an interesting phone call a little bit before this program, and it needs a, it before this um, service, and it needs a suddenly miracle. And and I tell you this much: you know what I believe for? A suddenly miracle suddenly, the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, it says in the self-same hour, by this time tomorrow, a, a loaf of bread that costs a hundred bucks, would be like nickels and dimes. Suddenly, suddenly, God sent his word and suddenly people were beginning to get healed from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. Suddenly, your building can change. Suddenly, your, your, your whole direction can change. Suddenly, somebody can pay something off for you. Somebody can look at your credit card if you have one and pay it off. Suddenly, somebody can give you one word from God that can change your life forever and we have to be careful one ear to go in and one ear to go out be careful what you're listening to because if it gets into your soul and if it gets into your spirit it's going to negate everything the holy spirit wants to do one word from god jewel roberts walked into her brother oral roberts who was dying of tuberculosis and said seven words oral god is going to heal you He responded with is he jewel one word from God can change your life forever oral oral dying of tuberculosis at age 17 not saved one word from God can change his life forever oral God is going to heal you and guess what God did you see we've got to be careful what we process what we think what we believe because as Carolyn said I wish I had your frog we are so desensitized. I heard a very, very, very famous singer. If I said her name, probably everybody in the room would know it. And she said she really doesn't let her kids listen to some of the stuff she does. And, and she said, listen, the first time you hear it, you'll be appalled. The second time you'll hear it, you'll still be appalled. Third time, a little less appalled. Fourth time, you kind of won't care. By the fifth or sixth time, you'll be singing along because you'll be desensitized. And I don't want to be desensitized to the Holy Spirit By filling my, quote, real estate with something else. I call my thoughts, my brain, the things I can think, my capacity to think. You know, medical science says you use about about 10% of your brain. What's 10%? The tithe. So I told God when I was in second grade, I would give him the tithe, my 10%, if he would open up the other 90% to me. Why can't we ask for that? But if I have only so much real estate and my brain cells can only think so many thoughts and I take that real estate and I fill it up with junk and garbage and doom and gloom and naysayers and gainsayers and this and that, then I don't have any real estate left to hear one word from God that can change my life forever. I want you to listen to this. If you think about this, see if I can find this on my phone somebody just sent this to me and I hunted all over for it my huge happy hilarious heart is throbbing tumultuously tremendously triumphantly with the lingering lasting long love long live love for you as i gaze into your bewildering Be- i can't even say it bewildering Beauteous, bounteous, beaming eyes I am literally, lonesomely lost In the dazzling, darling delight of dreams Which fill your fair I don't know what that word is Fanciful face Like a colossal, comprehensive constellation Will you be my sweet, soulful, satisfied spouse? That was Oral Roberts' marriage proposal To Evelyn Roberts Her (laughs) response was Oral Roberts, if you want me to marry you Speak in the English language (laughs) proposed she said yes change their lives forever one word can change your life forever yesterday i talked to you about houston we have a problem and then we talked about ken mattingly that says we can do this you may go through life every waking day hearing houston we have a problem but you've got to be the one to stand up and say well okay we might have, a, everybody says my, my biggest word in the English language is, okay. Because I don't want to give in to these things. Right. Okay, so Houston might have a problem. And like I said, I'm from Cocoa Beach. I've seen the Space Center. I know all that stuff. I'm, I'm in awe of it. But as much as Houston might have a problem, I have the Holy Spirit. We can do this thing in the name of Jesus. Yes. So the other day, yes, yesterday, I was listening to Carolyn. By the way, my kids say I go Carolyn on them. That if I get really passionate and if I'm really excited about something and if I'm really driven by something, they say, Mom's going Carolyn on us. That is one compliment. That teeny, tiny, little fireball of faith sitting there has the compliments of my children that one of the highest honors you could pay a person is saying, Mom went all Carolyn on us. Listen, we all need to go Carolyn on us. So in the middle of all of listening to Carolyn... I began to think about all of this stuff going on. And I want to show you something else. Remember I said yesterday it was Mickey Lowledge. Mickey Lowledge is probably going, what? But the truth is it was Denny McLean, and I knew that. This is Denny McLean's, I get all tickled. Well, this is really now Jerry's glove. But it says, Lindsay, it says, you're terrific. God bless you. Denny McLean, 31-6, 1968, Cy Young winner, 68-69, most valuable player, 1968. One word, most valuable player from God, can change your life forever. I want to be God's most valuable player in what I'm supposed to be doing. Al Kaline was called the gentleman of baseball. Yesterday, I called Jerry Savell the gentleman of Christianity. And if you knew Al Kaline, you knew that's a compliment. I told you I'd give it back, and I did. He's got Oral Roberts shoes. He's got my one Oral Roberts poster that was Oral Roberts. He's got my glove. You know what I think? I think, you know, when I said God likes Evelyn best? Well, Evelyn's in heaven. Now he's shifted, and God likes Jerry best. And you know what? I'm happy to just hang around and watch. One word... Do what you are his favorite. He loves you, but I'm his favorite. He loves me. God loves me. But Jerry's his favorite. And if you notice, no lightning is coming out of the sky. Why? Because it's true. <laughs> Every word of it. Words like, how about them Cubs? You know what? The Cubs weren't even in the playoffs and, and or they weren't in the World Series. They weren't. In, and what are we saying? How about them Cubs? They're not even playing because it's something that changed History. I want to be a part of something that changed history. I want to be part of something that has something attached to it that changes history for the kingdom of God. Blind Bartimaeus heard, Thou son of David, have mercy on me as Jesus went by. And what did Jesus say? What can I do for you? He could have said, Tell these naysayers to shut the big fat mouths. You know, sometimes I honestly think that might come flying out of my mouth. But he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Think about the blind man that Jerry was talking about spitting on his hands. Think about the newspapers today. And the guy gets healed, right? His line is, once I was blind, but now I see. But what would the newspapers print? Jesus spits in a guy's eye. No, Jesus took the DNA cells of who he was, because your DNA is in your spit, it's in your saliva, and he mixed it with the the dirt on the ground. Why? Because we're made from the dust of the earth, and he took the essence of who we are, and he... put the essence of who he was, and when the essence of who we are met who the essence of Jesus was, the guy's eyes had no clue. All it had to do was obey. It had no choice but to obey. When the DNA of Jesus hits the DNA of man, the DNA of Jesus is going to win. So Jesus does what his father tells him to do, and it changed the man's life forever. Once I was blind, but now I see. Think about this one. This one really tickled me because I was not paying any attention to notes or anything else. I was paying attention to Carolyn. And up on the board, she had the word over here, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I want you to take, if you can, take a piece of paper and write H-O-L-Y, Holy Spirit. And then I want you to go beneath it and I want you to write Hollywood. H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D. It said Holy Spirit. And when I looked at it, it disappeared in my mind and it went to Hollywood. H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D. And then the Lord said, take the L out of it. Holy Wood. And I saw a sign of the cross. He said there's a huge difference between Hollywood and... And Hollywood. There's a Cinderella-type movie where the where the wicked stepmother is about to plead her case, and they said to her, "Choose your words wisely." Yeah. And the thought came in my head, "Choose your woods wisely." Are we listening to Hollywood or Hollywood? Are we listening to Hollywood? Or Hollywood. What is the difference between H O L L Y wood and H O L L Y W O O D? What's the difference? Look on your paper. One L. I'm going to ask you a tough question. What in the L do you want? What in the L do you want? What is so? great about the world w-o-r-l-d versus the word w-o-r-d the only difference is one l but we let that little tiny l the l of the world the l of hollywood what in the l are we doing listening to the l of the world when god has given us the holy spirit and we can say i want Hollywood. i want that cross i want to hold on to the cross i don't care what reality show you're listening to i don't care what's on television i don't care how they dictate me what i'm supposed to look like dear lord Jesus, my Father God, if I wore some of the clothes that I see Hollywood wear, I not only would be arrested, I would laugh myself off the planet. When your clothing has more, has, and when dental floss has more fabric than your clothing, something is wrong. Now, I'm not telling you to get a visual, but I'm not going outside in dental floss. And that's the exact response that I would be giving to myself. It's ludicrous. But sometimes I see people who dictate to me what righteousness is when they wouldn't know right anything if it slapped them in the face. Why do we go to Goliath for advice on David's ministry? Goliath doesn't see it the same way. And yet we look, we talk, we walk, we watch this. Carolyn and I watch Hallmark. She'll call me up and she'll say, I'm having a bowl of ice cream and eating Hallmark. I said, so am I. We're so exciting. We may just be the two most boring grannies on earth, but guess what? Guess who records it and watches it too? You said you're eating Hallmark. Oh, uh, eating ice cream, watching Hallmark. Who watches Hallmark with me? me. Jerry says no, but tell the truth. Tell the truth. Do you watch Hallmark? Of course. Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. Thank you. Jerry Savelle. Now Oral. I could go caroling on you real fast. Now Oral. What am I saying? He's got the shoes, right? Be careful who dictates policy to you. Be careful what you see. Be careful what you read. Be careful of Jerry. (laughs) I tell you this with all of my heart. God showed me today is the day for sweet revenge. When he said that, I thought that sounded totally awesome. Deuteronomy 32. Revenge is a really cool word. What did he say? She moved she moved she moved it's the Hallmark. I am the mediator between God and man. For heaven's sake. I'm right about Hallmark, P.S. God loves Hallmark. God is brought up a lot nicely in Hallmark. They still call it Christmas. They call it the birth of Jesus. They're having their own little meeting over there. Theirs might be more fun than mine. Real men watch the Speed Channel. Real men watch the Speed Channel. I love that channel. I can't deny it. Hey. How can you refute Jerry Savelle? You can't refute Evelyn Roberts. You can't refute God. And you cannot refute Jerry sabell It's just the way it is. It is life in the city. So when I was studying Deuteronomy 32 as part of this message, I couldn't see how God was tying all this together, how one word from God can make or break the situation that you're facing. And I was looking at vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Of course, my first, um, my first thought of that is, Lord, if you are vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will willingly and openly be a volunteer. Let me at him. I'll play Old Testament. Cut their heads off. Take no prisoners. Woohoo! Let's get this party started. But God said no. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> right? Go figure. <laughs> it says this, "I will repay. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord; I will repay." Repay is a very interesting word because it has a two-fold meaning. When the word bind is used in the Bible, it means you bind something to God. And you bind something completely away from God. You bind God to you, but God binds you away from the devil. It's a very interesting word. So when you see sharper than any two-edged sword, that's another interesting word because it cut asunder means to cut an opening for the evil to go out. But at the same time, the opening allows the goodness of God in. So when you look at that and you look at this particular scripture, I will repay, when you look at it for the, the people who are against God, against you, against God's plan, it's a very negative word. It is the recompense of reward. But when you look at it and God is blessing you, he repays what Satan has stolen. It's an awesome word. It just depends on which side of the scale that word is in your life. And it means this, the recompense of reward. Hebrews 10.35, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. That translates, don't cast away your cheerful boldness and assurance because God will give you payment due, return for anything given, return for anything done to you, and return for anything you have suffered. Today is a good day to take that as one word from God. That he is going to give you payment due return for anything given return for anything done and return for anything suffered isn't it amazing it says anything given as you sow god watches it and says you'll reap if you've suffered if you've been attacked get ready because one word from god is the recompense of reward Amen. exodus fourteen fourteen says the lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace it means restore, revisit, reunite, rebuild, replant, and reestablish. That'll work. Yeah. I was, like I told you, I'm from Cocoa Beach, Florida, and I worked at a hotel where a lot of the astronauts came during whatever it was that was happening at the Space Center. And I remember, I ha- I, when I was a kid, I actually spoke four languages. I spoke English. I still don't speak it well, but I did spe- <laughs> that was my first language. Um, and, and I spoke other languages. One of them was French. And throughout college, I had a total of about seven years of French. I was terrible at it, but I loved it, and I kept speaking it, and I kept trying it until I got pretty okay with it. And then I began to be able to read it and write it, and, and it, was, it was kind of second nature to me. But there was this little boy who was about that big, and he was in the, um, in the dining room, And he was speaking French, and no one could understand him, and no one could speak French around him, and he wasn't speaking English, so I thought, okay, let's see how bad this is. So I walked over to him, and I began to translate, and I began to speak French to him, and I began to say, you know, let us help you get ordered, where are your parents, what do you need, where, and he looked at me in perfect English, and he says, lady... Your accent is so bad, I have no idea what you're even trying to say, but I can tell you this much, you aren't saying what you think you're saying. Like, you little snot. And then he turns to me. I could have squashed him like a bug, right? And then he turns to me and says, your accent is all wrong. Your accent is on the wrong syllable. And Richard used to tease me about people that would say things and he'd say their accent is on the wrong syllable. If you have your accent on the wrong syllable, it means you're putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. And in my French, I put the, ex- the accent and the emphasis so much on the wrong thing. This little tiny tot couldn't be more than six years old was telling me, you don't, th- you're not saying what you think you're saying. If we don't get our focus right, if we don't get our accent right, if we don't put the focus on the right syllable and realize that God has something for us and not something against us, we'll wake up in the morning and instead of saying, Good morning, Lord, we say, Good Lord, it's morning. And instead of saying, That's it, we say, That's it. And we've got to recognize that Satan wants us to get our accent wrong. All the words sound pretty. All the ideas sound pretty. Everything we're doing sounds good, but our accent is on the wrong syllable. We're not focusing on the right thing. What did God tell you to do for your ministry that only you can do and nobody else can do? And if you are willing to do that, one word from God is going to change your life forever and it can happen suddenly in the self same hour, in the twinkling of an eye before this time tomorrow. And we have to believe that these suddenlies. In meetings just like this are about to happen. I have a friend by the name of Hank Kuhneman. My father-in-law called him the most accurate prophet he had ever met in his entire life. And as he called him the most accurate prophet he had ever met in his entire life. He called me about four months ago, five months ago concerning this meeting. And he said, I wish I was there. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. God's going to move suddenly. He said, I feel like the move of the Holy Spirit is going to break out in Jerry Savelle's meeting suddenly. And he said, I wish I could be there. He couldn't be here, but I'm telling you, if he could have been, it would have been dynamite too because he moves so much in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm telling you, that meeting is going to be a suddenly in the eyes of God. I want to read you something. 1947, my father-in-law wrote this book called If You Need Healing, Do These Things. In this, this is called Oral Roberts' Best Love Sermons, Best Love Tenth Sermons. I think this book's about 35 years old, 40 years old. And yes, Jerry asked for it, and I already promised to give it to him. (sighs) Suddenly, I just go weak. Obviously, last night, I go weak at the knees when I'm around Jerry Savelle. And yes, you know, he said, he said in his cutest little Jerry voice, I don't have that book. (laughs) Well, now you do. I promised it to him. I said, but don't take it until after I get the tenth. Well, I told you I had to get through the 10th sermon. Okay, then you get it. If you need healing, do these things. (laughs) The legend of the cross. There's an old legend handed down that tells how even the wooden cross which Jesus died on brought healing. Helena, the mother of Constantine, while on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, gave instruction to the search for the cross of Christ. The workmen looked through the rubbish heaps at Calvary, and they found three crosses. But the inscriptions... Over the head of Christ was all laying in separate places. There was no clue as to which of the three crosses our Lord died on. Merimus, the minister of the Christian church in Jerusalem, said, We will just test the cross. Put that thought in the back of your mind like forever. The sick were gathered together and they tried one cross. There was no leaping of the lame, no opening of the eyes of the blind. They took up the second cross. And on the second cross, nothing happened. But on the third cross, the blind eyes were open, the deaf ears were unstopped, the lame leaped to their feet, and the sick were made whole. That wooden cross that stood on Calvary is gone, but the Christ who hung there is ascended and reigns in heaven forever. Outwardly, we see the cross no more, but Jesus, the person, lives on the inside, and in him the lost, the straying, the suffering multitudes of every generation may find perfect deliverance. Jesus Christ is as real today as when the multitudes saw him with their physical eyes. He is, get this, what a word. He is spiritual reality. We see a lot of things that people call reality today. He is spiritual reality. This was written in 1947. He is the center of the plan of redemption for humanity, spirit, soul, and body. And his points of if you need healing, do these things. I want to put this into you so that you begin to believe that if you need healing in your thoughts, in your finances, in your ministry, in your physical body, in just direction, whatever it is, number one, know that it is God's will to heal you and to make you a whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole person, body, soul, and spirit. It is God's will to heal us. But if we don't know it, all I can say to you is you don't know it. Remember that healing begins on the inner man folks, everything in the seen world began with the unseen. Our spirit man is more real than anything our natural eyes can see. And if we can believe with our spirit man, we will see it manifest with our physical man. Use a point of contact to release your faith. Yesterday, I was sitting over there. I have to tell you, I've been diagnosed with a heel spur on my foot, so I'm not supposed to be standing. I don't think I've missed a meeting, And I don't think I've stopped walking around. So I just kind of do things in pain if I had to. I mean, I'm the kind of person, you are not going to stop me. I go Carolyn on you right there. Because she is one determined little precious woman. And by the way, you gave twins a new world today. You you delivered triplets today. Well, I tell you this much. I kept saying to the Lord, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep I refuse to quit. I absolutely am the kind of person that I refuse to quit. Richard calls it my pit bull bull mentality. When I get something in my teeth, Good luck trying to get it out. Because when I get my faith on something and I wrap my faith teeth around it, I am determined to see God move. Well, this says use a point of contact to release your faith. Richard stands up in the line. Precious little Jerry Ann is standing up in the line. God's power is moving. And I was so caught up in watching it, then think about standing in the line. Not about my foot, because I'm standing on my foot. It comes and goes, and it was not even in the foremost of my mind. But Richard, being my Richard, walked me over... And he walked me right in front of Jerry. Well, I was on the side, and then Tony walked me in front of Jerry. And I knew that I knew that I knew if Jerry Savelle lays his hands on me, something's going to happen. All I know is that when I got in the back room, I said to Richard, how did I get here? I was so caught up in the power of God that I don't even know how I walked out of the room. I must have, because I was in a different room. If we get to the point that we can release our faith. I knew that when Jerry Savelle touched me, something was going to happen. I released my faith at that instant and he released his faith at that instant. And God released his power at that instant. If we will just release our faith, God will release his power and we will see things change suddenly. Number four, release your faith now, not just tomorrow, not just when you get back home. If you want suddenly, suddenly has got to be now, number five. This is a tough one for me. Close the case for victory. I have a tendency to be the kind of person to go backwards. Listen, when you're going down the road of life, rip off the rearview mirror. I'm talking spiritually speaking. If you're going down the road of life, you cannot go forward looking in the rearview mirror. I took off a rearview mirror with my head from the back seat in a car accident it ain't pretty. Rearview mirrors have their purpose, but they are not directional in the road of life. If you are going forward in the road of life, rip off the rearview mirror, spiritually speaking. Close the case for victory. Let God arise. Let the enemies be scattered and move forward. Get a point of contact. Do what you need to do, but move forward. Number six, join your faith. Here we go, guys, with companions of faith. When you get a word from God, make sure it's a holy word, not a holly word. Make sure it's not Hollywood, it's Hollywood. Make sure we make a decision that if we hear something, and for heaven's sake, if you hear it about other Christians, filter it through God. Christians sometimes, I used to say, telephone, telegraph, telechristian. The three most important modes of communication, especially where gossip is concerned. Telephone, telegraph, telechristian. Well, for heaven's sake... We need to be the kind. And if God reveals something to you about some person, instead of going to make it the, the, the center of your gossip fest, let's make it the center of your prayer. He revealed it to you for... I, I had a woman come say to me, I knew that guy was no good, so I took her on. I said, if you knew that guy was no good, why aren't you on your knees making him better? She had no answer. She stormed off, and I said, Yes, I'm sorry, but I had, I had a moment, all right? But we have to have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us into all truth. And that truth is suddenly... Suddenly, things are about to change. Suddenly, what do you need to change in your life? Suddenly, what do you need to happen? When I got that crazy diagnosis that I got, I needed a suddenly. I didn't have a time for a tomorrow. I had a suddenly. All right, if you're facing a suddenly, stand up. Let's pray suddenly prayers in the name of Jesus. Stand up right now. What is your suddenly? Do you need your bills paid? Do you need your kids healed? Do you need a miracle from God? Do you need a direction? Do you need this? Do you need that? Instead of telling God how beady, bumpy, leafy, and lumpy we are, let's ask God for suddenly that by this time tomorrow, everything has changed. When you get back home, everything has changed for the good and for the glory of God. And to me, I don't know any other way but to pray in the spirit because I don't know what to pray for as I ought. So begin to pray in the spirit. Stir up your most holy faith in the name of Jesus. Father God, right now, as we begin to pray in the spirit. Sokobo, Lord, for those people talking about politics when this when this session began, Lord God, I am praying that you will give them a suddenly of how to go, where to go, what to do. Father God, for finances right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for suddenly decisions, that you know what to buy, you know what to sell, you know what to give, you know what to keep, you know where to go, you know where not to go. That suddenly God gives you Ananias and Straight Street. Perfect direction. What to do and what to do when you get there. I pray in the name of Jesus. That every word that has been spoken into this session tonight becomes a suddenly to you. Suddenly you understand that you're not going to live like that anymore. Suddenly you understand you're not going to tolerate things anymore. Suddenly you understand that it's your your right to be healed in the kingdom. Suddenly you understand that you must give in order to receive. You must sow seed in order to reap a harvest. Suddenly you understand that you can be healed. Suddenly you understand that the past is gone and the rearview mirror of life no longer exists in your life. And in the name of Jesus, God suddenly, 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 suddenly begins to happen. Keep praying, but I want you to look up here. I'm holding a rubber duck. What does this little tiny yellow rubber duck have to do with your life? This is my suddenly. This is my frog. This is it. When I was diagnosed with cancer, my husband went to the toy shop. And he came home with this and he said, you are not a sitting duck. You do not have sitting duck mentality waiting for the other shoe to drop. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Anything and everything you have need of comes to you. And I say to you, you are not sitting ducks. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Anything and everything you have need of suddenly begins to come to you in Jesus' name. No more sitting ducks in this room. No more frog mentality, but just the righteousness of God. Continue praying right now. Father God, we just lift up this atmosphere to you. Lord God, I pray for a right shoulder to be healed right now. I pray for a right ankle to be healed right now. I pray for female organs to be healed right now. I pray for a headache that's centered on the left side of your head to be healed right now. I pray for cataracts to be opening up and eyes to see right now. I pray for thought processing to have the mind of Christ right now. You're looking at a business and you think it's totally stupid. But God says it's not stupid. It's supernatural. I pray God reveals that business to you and shows you exactly what to do. I pray that instead of breaking down, you not only have a breakthrough, but you go exceedingly abundantly far above anything you could ask or think. I pray for somebody who just got new shoes. That may sound wacky to you, but somebody that just got new shoes. And you're saying, oh, my feet hurt. No, that's because God has put you in a new position. You're going to walk a new path. And sometimes it might be a little bit of a rocky road. But you with the new shoes, don't worry. God will break it in just like your shoes will break in. The rocky road will break in and the way will be open. I pray for somebody who lives in a lot of sunlight. A lot of sunlight. Extreme sunlight. There's a lot of sunlight. And you think, oh, it's so pretty outside. But I'm dark on the inside. I pray for the darkness of the devil to leave you right now, for that cloud to become a glory cloud, for that cloud in your head that's been nothing but confusion to become a glory cloud. And God takes that cloud of confusion out and he replaces it with the mind of Christ. And you walk out every step in total and complete light of the word of god i pray for somebody who is living in fear right now every time you turn around fear jumps out of your mouth and you think how did that happen to me i'm gonna tell you how because god's saying it's generational your mama was scared your daddy was scared everybody's scared in the name of jesus i break off that spirit of fear that generational curse And now while you're trying to be faithful, just relax, take a deep breath in, tell the devil to get out and allow the spirit of fear. I command you to leave this place, leave all of our members, leave the family members, leave and go to the uninhabited places of the earth. You will not bind people like this anymore. We bind them to the glory and the power and the anointing of God and bind them away from the junk of the devil and in the name of Jesus. Now, I pray something to happen to you that Oral Roberts said happened to him once. He was looking at the Bible and Jesus jumped off the pages. He was reading the Bible and Jesus jumped off the pages. You know what that is? Divine revelation. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every sermon you preach, everything you listen to, every hear, everything you begin to hear, you begin to turn it in with divine revelation. God will let you stand in your pulpit, stand where you are, stand in front of who I don't care if you're in the grocery store. God will give you insights, ideas, concepts, and divine revelation. as truth revealed. For you to take every step. No more missteps. And you know what? Day late and dollar short. Begin to tell it goodbye. In the name of Jesus. We curse day late and dollar short mentality. Out of your life. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're to prosper and be in health. Even as your soul prospers. We command your mind, your will, and your emotions to line up with the word of God and for prosper and be in health to follow. In Jesus' name. Begin to say, I'm a tither. If you're not, you better change. But if you are, begin to say, I'm a tither. I'm a tither. Therefore, devil, I'm a tither. Therefore, I have a right to God's blessing for God to open the windows of heaven. Pour us out a blessing where there's not room enough to receive it. Rebuke the devourer for our sake. All nations call us blessed. And you cannot have my inheritance. In Jesus' name. Now I want you to begin to shout amen. Because it means so let it be written. It. So let it be established. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you. You're up, buddy. All right. Now, don't mess up what I did. know.
0: <laughs> now, oral. Wow. Can you say well? Wow. Say it backwards. Wow. <laughs> Praise God. You can be seated. Wow. Thank you, Jerry, for letting me follow Lindsay. <clears throat> Carolyn, this morning. Wow. Uh, I feel like I've been in an Oral Roberts conference. (laughs) I've heard more about my dad in this conference than a long time, Jerry. And I am so blessed to be here. Um, I am being fed. And much more so than my ministry preaching, uh, I'm being fed. And we who are in ministry, we've got to be fed. We do so much ministering that we seldom get ministered to. And we have to have ministry. And I don't know about you, but I am being fed these days. This is one of the most outstanding conferences that I've ever had the privilege to attend. Let's just thank the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Brother Jerry, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, for the invitation to attend. Just getting to speak is a bonus. Just getting to be here with you all is a blessing. Praise God. And my father was a piece of work, let me tell you. Oh, my goodness. I remember one year, one of our partners gave my dad and my mother a car, two cars. And they were identical. Same exterior, same interior, same model, same make. And it was hard to tell the cars apart, except that my mother's was cleaner. (laughs) And oftentimes he would he would drive my mother's car and the the man who gave the car the cars to them came to visit us once and my dad was taking him on a tour and he got in my mother's car because it's difficult to recognize which car was which because they were they looked identical and they drove down across our property and came to one of the buildings that had a garage built in it for him to park his car and as he got near Uh, The man with him said, Oral, slow down. You're going to hit the wall here. My dad said, no, I'm not. You're going to hit the wall, Oral. Oral, Oral, watch it. You're going to wham. And he hit the side of the garage and tore off the light and part of the bumper. And uh, they got back to the house, and his friend, Bill, walked into our home and said, Evelyn, Oral just wrecked his car. And my dad said, no, I did not. He said, Oral, don't lie. You just wrecked your car. I was in the car with you. I did not. Oral, you're lying to the Lord and in front of your wife. You, you wrecked your car. No, I did not wreck my car. I wrecked Evelyn's car.
1: <laughs>
0: now, that was my dad. Uh, my, dad, and my, my, dad my, my dad loved to tell jokes, but he could never get to the punchline. He would laugh hysterically before the joke was over and my mother would have to finish the joke. His favorite story was about this ventriloquist and the ventriloquist would get down on his luck and he would take his dog into the bar and set the dog up on the bar and make the dog talk in order to sell the dog to get money. And he would start chuckling about this part of the story. And one day, the ventriloquist was down on his luck, set the dog up on the bar, and the dog just began to talk. And the man said, I've never seen a dog talk before. I'd like to, I'd like to buy that dog. And the ventriloquist said, well, you give me $500, you can have the dog. He said, well, I don't have 500 I have only 200 on me. Well, he said, give me the 200 and pay me the 300 later. And so he gave him the 200 and the man walked out of the bar with the dog. A couple of weeks later, he came back. At this point, he, my, my dad would, would break out in laughter hysterically, and my mother would have to take over the joke. And, the, and she would say, and the man came back in, put the dog back up in the bar and said, I want my money back. This dog has not said a word. About that time, the dog spoke up and said, yes, I'm not going to say a word. Do you pay him that other 300 $300. That was my dad's favorite story. I've heard him try to tell it a hundred times, and I never heard him get through it once. My mother had to finish the story. And my mother was very straight-laced. Her her favorite joke was, did you hear about the porcupine that backed into the cactus bush and said, is that you, Mama? (laughs) That was my mother's kind of story. Some of you are slow, but you're worth waiting on Praise God, but I remember so many things like that. I remember in 1957, and Brother Jerry mentioned 57 was the year that he heard the call of God in his life. 57 was a was a very special year in our ministry. My dad was at really the the height of his tent crusade ministry, and that summer in 57, he pitched his tent in Trenton, New Jersey. It was August. It was hot. And must have been 100 degrees outside and 120 inside the tent. And his custom was that on the last day of the crusade, if you had not yet had hands laid on you, that he would lay hands on everyone who had a prayer card and had not yet been touched. And his custom was that he would preach. And then... He would give an invitation and people would come forward to pray the prayer of faith and accept Christ as their Savior. Then he would send them to an ancillary tent called the the Salvation Tent. And that's where the pastors were waiting uh, to invite them to come into their churches after they had gotten saved. Meanwhile, while Brother DeWeese, his associate evangelist, was organizing the prayer line for the main service or for the last service, he would go to another tent called the Invalid Tent. And that's where people would come who were too sick to stand in a prayer line. And when you walked into that little tent, which I did many, many times, you felt like you were sitting there at the pool of Bethesda where all types, all manner of sickness and disease, the worst sights, the worst smells you've ever smelled or seen in your life was in that little tent. And he always laid hands on them first before the main prayer line. But on the Sunday afternoon, which was the closing day, Brother DeWeese, while my my dad was in that little prayer tent, invalid tent, Brother DeWeese would have everyone stand and pick up their folding chair, 12,000 folding chairs. Everyone pick up your folding chair and walk to the edge of the tent and hand it to one of the team members. That's how he cleared the tent. The tent was cleared of chairs in less than 10 minutes. And they had taken string and strung the string from tent pole to tent pole. And Brother Deweese would call out the prayer card letters. If you have a prayer card letter A or B or C and you have not had hands laid on you yet, then you go stand under the string between these tent poles. And lines were organized. And that day, there were 9,000 people who had not yet had hands laid on them. And many times I would walk with him as he prayed for the sick. And on that day, he allowed me to walk with him. And after an hour, an hour of walking down these lines, laying hands on people, he took his coat off and handed it to me. It felt like it must have weighed 10 pounds. It was soaking wet, the sweat from his body was dripping off of the coat. And I draped that coat over my little arm. I was about 10 years old. And carried it with him for another two hours. It took him three hours to lay hands on 9,000 people. And when it was finished, and as you were talking today, Jerry, the anointing left him. Because you knew when it was on him and you knew when it wasn't. When the anointing left him, he collapsed. And three or four men, I don't remember, but three or four men picked him up. Carried him to the car, and we were supposed to drive to Greenwich, Connecticut, where Sam and Isabel Graham lived. They were partners in our ministry. Sam was the held the patent on the Dixie Cup, and we were to spend several days in their beautiful home on the shores of the Long Island Sound there in Connecticut, in one of the ritziest areas of the world. Greenwich, Connecticut, is one of the richest places in the world. And We were to stay there in their home for three days. And my father could not walk. He lost the power to walk, and we had to carry him up to the bedroom and put him in the bed where he stayed for two days because of what he had been through praying for the sick. Now, Brother Jerry talked about the price, the price of the anointing. There was a price that was paid in order to carry that anointing. And I remember one night, I went with him to the invalid tent, and I've told the story. Maybe you've heard it, but there was a man in the prayer room that was had been carried by hospital by a uh, by an ambulance from the hospital, and he was in the final stages of cancer. And if you've ever been around anyone who's in the final stages, the smell of the cancer is so foul you can hardly stand it. And when we walked in, the, the, the stench of the cancer was so strong. And I remember my dad walked over to pray for him and I was standing right by his side. But instead of praying for him, my dad just turned and threw up in the sawdust. Wiped his mouth off and turned around and walked out of the tent and left me standing there by myself. And it was a very awkward moment. I didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do. He was gone. But about 30 seconds later, he came bursting back through that tent flap and walked over to where the man was, got up on the hospital gurney with him, took him in his arms, and prayed for him. I never knew why. He never talked about it. I never asked about it until many, many, many years later. After my mother went home to be with the Lord. And he and I were in his home reminiscing after her death. Talking about crusade days and great miracles that we had seen. And the subject of that night came up. And I said, Dad, I I never asked you. That night when you threw up and you left the tent. Why? What happened? And he smiled and said, well, I was under such scrutiny. The media was hammering me across America so hard. All I was trying to do was to get people saved and healed and delivered. And they were just, they were calling me every name in the book. It seemed like every newspaper, every secular magazine, every Christian magazine was hammering me. And all I was trying to do was to get people saved and healed. He said, I had had it up to here, and I said to the Lord when I threw up, I quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. And he said, that's when I turned and I walked out of the tent. And I said, I know you left me there standing by myself. But I said, something happened. A few seconds later, you came back in. He smiled again. He said, yes, I did. And I said, well, why? What happened? He said, when I got outside the tent, the Lord spoke to me and said, if you're not willing to pray for him, you are not worthy of being my child and he said that's when i came back into the tent and took the man in my arms and prayed the prayer of faith there was price there was a price we all paid it we children we all paid it because we were the butt of all of the jokes When Life Magazine did their huge expose on him, which, by the way, was written up during the crusade, which was here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, on the very grounds where the TBN studios and where uh, Brother Don George's church, Calvary Temple, was and now is Grace Revolution. Those are the grounds where my dad's crusade was here in the early 60s. And that's the crusade that Life Magazine came. Nine of the uh, Life Magazine staff gave their hearts to the Lord. One received a healing. But when they got their story back to New York, back to the headquarters, the publisher changed the story and skewed it his way. And they put Marilyn Monroe on the cover of the magazine and painted her as an angel and painted my dad as a devil. There was a price that was paid. When we got to school, children and the teachers had those magazines. And I, I can't describe the hurt that we as a family went through. There was a price for carrying the anointing of God. And there was a price when little children would come up to me and they would hear me say that I had stood in a prayer line next to my dad. And they would run up to me and put their hands on me in the class and yell, heal, and then laugh. There was a price that we paid. Catherine Kuhlman used to say to me, Richard, no one knows the price that I have paid for this anointing. No one knows. And we who are in ministry, we have an understanding of what we go through, the things. Because when you are serving God, when you are in the salvation, healing, deliverance, ministry, Satan comes against you. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He comes to take you out. Well, he is faithful also. He's faithful to do everything in his power. Why? Because he knows his days are numbered. He knows the angel is going to lock him up. He knows he's going to be chained up for a thousand years. He knows he was there when God created everything. He understands the Bible much better than you and I have any comprehension. He knows what's coming. He and his demonic forces understand that hell was created for him and his own and not us. And he knows and he's doing everything in his power seeking whom he may devour. And he comes against us. But that's the time we have to be strong and say, no, devil, you can't have me. You can't have my family. You can't have my ministry. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my business. You can't have my money. You can't have my health. You can't have me because I belong to God. And greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. There's a price to be paid, my friends. And we're paying the price. But when we come to conferences like this and and we get fired up on the inside, we get stirred up, then we can go back to where we minister and we can be strong and we can be a witness of our soon coming Lord. Yes, we bear the marks in our body. Paul bore them physically. We bear them in other ways. But we bear them. And I was thinking, we were talking uh, last uh, Yesterday afternoon after the service, as Brother Jerry said, in his home and with the continuation of the service. And then last night afterwards and even at lunch today, we we're talking, sharing some things. And I thought in this last session that, that I'm ministering in, I thought it would be good if I could share some of the things that my father poured into my life. And so, you know, I'm not going to take very long, but you might get a pad or a pen and paper and, and take your smartphone or your tablet Or if you have your dumb phone with you, I don't know what kind of phone you have. Mm. My smartphone dumbs up sometimes. Let me just share a few things with you that he poured into my life. Now, I was talking with Tony before the service, and I said, Tony, what I'm going to share is not not anything that the people don't know, but it's back to basics. It's a refresher course. Here we are now in the early stages of the, of the NBA season and the professional football season is about eight games in and college football is about halfway through. But, but at, the, at the beginning of each season, they have, a, they have, they have a drills and they have preseason uh, training. And they go back over basics to remember what, they, what they've learned and, and so they can build on that. And we Christians need to do that a lot more. We need to go back to basics because you'll never know where you're going until you know where you've come from. The first thing that I remember God teaching me through my father was this. God is a good God. Now you have to understand in the 1950s that wasn't a popular thing to say. Because Christians did not believe that God was a good God. They thought that God was someone up in heaven with a, with a whipping stick waiting for them to make a mistake. So he could whip them and say, I knew you were no good. I knew I couldn't count on you. But Oral Roberts came on the scene saying, God is a good God. Say it with me. God, God is a good God. God. He would say, God is a good God and the devil is a bad devil. He would say, there's no goodness in the devil and there's no badness in God. And I remember the day that he called Stuart Hamlin, who was a great songwriter in that era, and said, Stuart, I want you to write me a new song. I want it to say, God is a good God. And I want to make that the theme of our television program. I I was not yet old enough uh, to be a part of the program, but I remember when Stuart came to our home and brought a song that said, God is a good God. Every heartache he understands. There is healing miracles there, there, there in, in the touch of his wonderful hands. What he's done for others, he will do for you. If you'll only believe and trust him too. For God is a good God and his goodness he will show to you. I was there that day when he brought that song. And that song carried across our television broadcast. From the tent crusades for many, many years. God is a good God. And people understood that God was a loving God. He was a caring God. He was a good God. He was for you. He was not against you. And 3 John 2 tells us that that he has a great love for us. And beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So I learned that God is a good God. Then I learned from him, secondly, that Jesus is a healing Jesus. And if you have seen me, Jesus said, you have seen the father. That what Jesus did was a picture of what his father did. That's right. Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And he sent Jesus to be the epitome of that statement. And Jesus went about doing good, Acts ten thirty eight tells us, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. It is said that Jesus spent two-thirds of his life on earth healing the sick. He was either on his way to heal somebody, or he was there healing them, or he was on his way to heal somebody else. And no matter where he went, he brought healing. People would interrupt him. He would stop funeral processions on the way to the graveyard. Someone would grab his clothing, as Brother Jerry taught us this morning. And, uh, and they would receive healing as they, as they passed by. So I learned that God is a good God, and I learned that Jesus is a healing Jesus. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen my Father. Then third, I learned, as I taught you yesterday, the Holy Spirit is my secret weapon. I learned about the Apostle Paul who taught us that we not only pray in tongues, but that we must also interpret back. Because if we only pray in tongues, we are simply praying the mysteries of God. We feel better. But we don't know what we're saying. So Paul said, what is it then? Or what will I do? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Or in other words, I will pray in English and then I'll stop and pray. uh, Excuse me. I'll pray in tongues. Then I'll stop and pray in English. And I'll begin to get understanding, ideas, concepts new and innovative ways of doing things. And I learned about praying in tongues and praying back. I learned in English. I prayed or I understood that that the Holy Spirit is my secret weapon and that I, as a Christian, had the right to do that. He taught me that that was different than the operation of the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is sovereign. It's one of the nine gifts of the Spirit, and only the Holy Spirit can manifest that gift. But that every born-again believer has the right to pray in tongues anytime you want to. And then you can stop and pray in your own language. I learned that from my father's ministry. It made a tremendous difference in my life. He also taught me that I could plant my seed and look for the harvest. Now, in those days, people believed that you gave because you owed God. There was a debt to be paid. And you gave to a God because he demanded your tithe. Well, that was under the old covenant. But God cut a new covenant in the shed blood of his son Jesus. And Jesus paid the debt. So therefore, my dad taught me that it is no longer a debt that we owe, but it is a seed that we sow. It changed people's thinking about sowing. They got out of the mentality of, I owe God, I'm paying God, but instead I'm sowing my best unto God. And then I'm expecting him to open me the windows of heaven and pour me out a blessing so much so that there's not enough room to receive it. It changed everything. It was quite controversial. And Brother Jerry, I remember when he wrote that book you talked about, The Miracle of Seed Faith, because I typed the manuscript I was about 20 years old at the time and my dad would sit in his living room and write on a yellow legal pad and then hand it to me because at 14, I learned how to type at the Oklahoma School of Business. And I could type 60 words a minute and my dad decided I was going to be his typist. So I typed the manuscript for the miracle of seed faith. He would write it. I would type it. I would take it back to him. He'd write all over it and change it. Send it back to me. I'd type it again. He'd write all over it, change it. I'd type it again. Finally, I felt like I had written the book with him. <laughs> so I remember those days. But, but that was revolutionary. That teaching. And it came under a great controversy. Uh, like a magnifying glass. And there were people who called him a heretic. Well, most of it was just their jealousy. I remember one night, he and I were sitting together in his home watching TV, just the two of us, watching a Christian station. And uh, there was a man who was preaching, and we weren't paying a whole lot of attention. We were carrying on a conversation. When all of a sudden, my dad heard the man say his name. And, uh, of course, the conversation stopped. My dad's interest was perked. He wanted to see what the man was saying about him. And he just went off on my dad, jumped all over him, criticized him for all of his teaching on seed faith and everything he just just laid him out and then when he finished his message he said and now we will receive our seed faith offering <laughs> my dad fell off the couch into the floor laughing hysterically he said well he doesn't like me but he sure got the message <laughs> He taught me how to plant my seed and expect back from God. And he used to tell a story that a lot of people thought was sacrilegious. He said he was up in a, in a hotel once and he got thirsty. And he walked down the hallway with a couple of coins where there was a Coca Cola machine. And he put his coins in and he looked and he saw the different selections Coke, 7 Up, Pepsi, whatever was in the machine. And he punched the button. And a Coca-Cola, or whatever it was he was, he was pushing for, came out. And uh, he, sa- he, he said, you know what, what I did first? He said, I put out my hand to receive. And he said, look, I, I put my coin in, and I made my selection, and then I put my hand out to receive. Yeah. And he said, why do we treat God worse than we treat a Coca-Cola machine? Why do we treat God worse than we treat a Coca-Cola machine? He said, we we sow our seed to God, we make our selection, we tell him what our needs are, and then we open up to receive from a God who loves us and cares for us. You see, that was revolutionary teaching in those days. But that teaching has got a hold of the body of Christ. That teaching has built many a church. It's built many a ministry because it's the word of God. It wasn't some man's theory. It was the Bible. And he poured that into me. He poured into me that I could dispatch angels. That's the fifth thing. I could dispatch angels. He taught me that angels are ministering spirits for us. And that we have the right to dispatch our angels. To encamp about us. To keep us safe from harm, sin, danger, accident, injury, pilfering, theft. Hijacking and terrorism. Amen. We can dispatch our angels. You didn't lose your guardian angel just because you grew up. That's right. Every day, I command a band of angels in my behalf to take their battle stations to do battle for Lindsay, for me, for our children, for our ministry. To take authority over the demonic forces that I know are there. David or Daniel prayed, and it took the angel twenty-one days. Because he had to fight through the Prince of Persia, the Bible says. Oh, God heard him. It took a while to fight through. And we have angels like that. And my dad taught me that we can can dispatch him. And it came through something that happened to him while he was hospitalized in our own hospital in Tulsa years ago. He had had a minor uh, surgical procedure done. He was laying there in the hospital bed. When all of a sudden he looked up and an angel walked into his room. And only said two words. Dispatch me. Dispatch me And my dad said What do you mean The angel said again to him Dispatch me And my dad said What do you mean He said You have the power To dispatch me I'm assigned to you Dispatch me Tell me what you want me to do Tell me where you want me to go We have the right To dispatch the angels In our behalf Hallelujah Somebody give praise To the Lord We're not alone In this battle We not only have our helmet of salvation, our breastplate of righteousness, our belt of truth, our gospel shoes of peace, our sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, a shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the devil, and praying in tongues, which is the seventh piece of the armor. But we have angels. (laughs) He taught me that. He taught me that God is for me more than the devil is against me. He not only taught me that he's good, but he's for me. That he knows me. He created me. He knows every thought. He knows every purpose. He knows every intent of my heart. And that he is for me. He's not against me. He's for me. He taught me that the devil is against me, but that he is for me. And that he loves me. And even when I slip and fall and make mistakes, I can get back up and repent. For the Bible says if I repent of my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me. And to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He taught me that. He taught me that I need to learn how to pray for my enemies. And learn how to forgive. And those are two of the hardest things that we Christians have to deal with. Especially when someone has injured you. When they've lied against you. When they've stolen from you. When they cheated you or defrauded you or accused you of something that you haven't done. And when the Lord will not allow you to defend yourself, as in many cases in my own life. When I just asked the Lord, could I just have one press conference? I could, I could settle the whole thing. If you just let me have a press conference and let me call them what they really are. And let me expose what they did. The Lord has never allowed me to do that. He said, I am your defense. I am your defense. You never see the Apostle Paul defending himself. You never saw David defending himself. And many times they took it on the chin. And you and I many times have taken it on the chin. And the Lord showed me me that you got to pray for your enemies. Pray for those who lie against you and steal from you and despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you. Pray for them. Lindsay taught me how you were talking today about cutting their heads off, not in the physical sense, but separating them from what they did. And she said, you have every reason to hate them, but you don't have any right. What they did was wrong, but learn how to separate them from what they did. And she would have me take a piece of paper and write the person's name down and what they did and then tear the sheet of paper in half and separate what they did from them. And forgive them Pray for them Let them go And she said to me honey Unforgiveness is like drinking poison And expecting the other person to die Unforgiveness won't hurt them It'll just kill you And my dad taught me You've got to pray for your enemies And you've got to pray for those Who despitefully use you And you've got to learn how to forgive them And let them go You want to sleep at night? Forgive. Let them go and give them to God. And what I do is I say, God, I I forgive them and I let them go. And now they're in your hands. Now they are your problem. (laughs) And I don't have to deal with them anymore. I put them in your hands. My dad taught me how to do that. He taught me not to talk about the problem, but to talk to the problem. You never saw Jesus having a conversation with sickness. He talked to it. He commanded sickness and disease to depart. He didn't have a conversation. He didn't ask a lot of questions. He simply prayed and commanded the devil to take his hands off God's property. He didn't say climb mountains. He said speak to them. And he taught me to speak to the problem and commanded In the authority of Jesus' name. Commend it. And so when I pray for the sick, I I try not to have a conversation with people. Because if you let people talk about their sickness, they take possession of it. Let me tell you about my sickness. You think you're sick, let me tell you about my sickness. And they take possession. And when they take possession, it's hard to get it loose from them. That's why I try not to have a conversation with people when I pray for them. They tell me what the the need is, and then I go right to prayer. Sometimes I'll even cut them off in the middle of the story because I I want them to focus on him instead of focusing on the possession of the sickness. And sometimes people think, well, Richard, you're being rude. No, I'm trying to get your mindset out of talking about the sickness and get your mind on God because he can heal, but he's the only one that can heal. And he taught me that. He taught me how. To operate like that. He taught me how to talk to the problem and not talk about the problem. And then he taught me that it that God will never leave me and that he'll never forsake me. No matter what I do, no matter where I go, that his hand is upon my life. And that he will protect me. I remember once when Lindsay and I were ministering out in Southern California. Our children were little. And we were staying up on the seventh floor of this Marriott Hotel. It was 5 o'clock in the morning, and we were jolted awake by must have been, what, a 7.1 or 7.2 earthquake. And we had a, a young lady that was traveling with us, helping us with our three children. And we had, a, we had two rooms with big connecting doors and a little room in the middle and the room was shaking and the the carpet was going up and down like this and the walls were shaking and pictures were falling off the walls and and the the uh the, the young lady that was helping us fell and hit her head on the glass table. And our children were, were awakened and they were frightened. And we were running around trying to figure out. Because uh, we, we heard, you know, you don't get in an elevator when there's, a, when there's an earthquake. And, and uh, we're running around t- trying to grab our children. And in the natural trying to figure out what to do. And I hear the voice of the devil saying, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. When all of a sudden as we were praying in tongues, I heard the Lord say, I've called you to 40 nations and you've only been to 15. You're not going to die in an earthquake. Yes, it is appointed once unto man to die. And then the judgment. But we're not living in that day. We're living in a day of salvation, of mercy, of God's healing power. Now, we take normal precautions. And we should take normal precautions. In, in light of some of the events that have happened just in the past year or two. There are things that, that I don't want to do. There are places that I don't want to go. You know, God has given us a brain and he intends us to use it. And we, we live, in a, we live in, a, in, a, in a society where you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you hear people just go out for a, a walk down a path. The next thing you know, uh, two to two or three days ago, they're run over by a van and killed. Or they go to a concert uh, next to a hotel and suddenly someone is shooting at, shooting at them and, and killing more than 50. There, there are some things that I'm not going to do anymore. But I'm not going to live my life in fear. I'm not going to hide under a bushel. I'm not going to hide in my room and say, I'm not going out. I'm not going to minister. Yes, I take normal precautions. And yes, we pray and put the angels around us. But I have a call of God in my life. And the safest place for you to be is in the middle of God's will. Listen, you can drown drown in your own bathtub out of God's will. You have to do what God has called you to do. You have to do it. And he taught me that. He taught me how to put the angels around me and to understand that it's God's will for me to be well in every area of our lives and that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. And then he taught me that heaven is real. Heaven is waiting. Carolyn, you said it this morning. Heaven is waiting. Our life here on earth is temporal. It's a temporary. We only have a work visa. And the day is coming when we will be raptured. And we will be out of here. He taught me to be prepared for the second coming of the Lord in the twinkling of an eye. But to work like he's not coming for a thousand years. He poured that into me. He showed me how important it is for me to keep my eye on the prize that's ahead of me. I look forward to the day when I can say, God, I have done what you've told me to do. And therefore, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. I don't know when that day is. I'm not in charge of that agenda. I have no idea when he's coming. I know there are those who have made prophecies and predictions it's amazing that they can do that when even Jesus himself doesn't know that he's coming. Only the Father knows. And I know there are many Christians today that are very upset and they're very worried and they're concerned. They're wondering uh, about the Antichrist. And, and, I, and I always say to them, you don't need to be worried about that. The, the son of perdition, the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church has been removed. Right. Until Christians are no longer here. The Holy Spirit and the church is what is holding back. The Antichrist right now, as long as we are here, as long as the church is on earth, as long as Christians are on the earth and until they are raptured, the Antichrist cannot be revealed and will not be revealed. So we don't need to have a concern about the identity of the Antichrist. Is he alive today? I have no idea. But that's not my concern. My concern is to keep my life straight and to be obedient to the Lord. If I'll do what he said, he'll take care of what he said. And so I don't concern myself with that. And I, 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 I try to tell people wherever I go, don't be, don't be analytical. Don't try to figure all that out. Leave that in God's hands. But it's amazing to me. And I thought about this as Carolyn was, was speaking earlier today. Whenever God prepares judgment, he removes his own. When he prepared the world for a flood, he removed the righteous. He removed Noah and his family. And they floated above the storm waters. And the windows in the ark were built so they, they could only look up. The windows were built so they could not look down. They could not look on destruction. God will not let his people look on his destructive hand. And when he pulled uh, uh, the, the nephew of Abraham, Lot, and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, He said, don't look back. He removed the righteous before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And before his destructive hand comes in the battle of Armageddon, he will remove us. And that tribulation will come. And I don't know about you, but I'm not missing that boat. My dad said, when that day comes, I'm going up on the first load. (laughs) But he poured that into me. He gave me a basis for my life. He gave me a basis for my ministry. And I praise God. I praise God for my heritage. And wherever I go, people say, Please tell some Oral Roberts stories. So that people don't forget the price that was paid. The anointing, which he used to say is that Holy Ghost divine energy that comes upon you and separates you from yourself and fills you up with God's presence so much that when you speak, it's like God speaking. And when you act, it's like God acting. And he would say, son, I know when I'm anointed and I know when I'm not anointed. And I remember when he would finish praying for the sick and that anointing was still on him. We children, we, we wanted to get up in his lap. We wanted to touch him. We wanted to touch his hands because we'd seen the creative things that God had done. It was a a sovereign, awesome time growing up. Even with all the difficulties that we had, it was awesome. And I thank God for it. I don't regret a moment of what God has poured into me all these years. Yes, there were lots of problems. Yes, there was lots of oppositions. Yes, there were there were times when we, we didn't know exactly what to do. I understand all that. But I wouldn't trade a moment of it because now I understand. And now I can pour that out. And my heart's cry right now is to pour this out in the lives of pastors and ministers all over the world. To give them the same opportunity that I had. To understand how to have... A basic training course in Christianity. One that makes sense. One that's practical. One that you can build your life upon. And I give praise and I give honor and I give glory to God today. Can you stand with me today? Remember the story I told you yesterday? Ronald Roberts, do you want to stand before me with medals? Or with scars. Everybody loves medals. But my dad chose the scars. He was willing to bear the marks in his body. I'm willing. And you're willing too. You wouldn't be here if you weren't willing. And I just want to thank God today for this conference, for what it means to me, and to have had an opportunity, to have had an opportunity to sow just a portion of my life into you. But much more than that to be able to sit under Brother Jerry and Carolyn and Lindsay's ministry and receive myself. If you have gained half as much as what I have gained, then you'll never be the same again. <laughs> Let's just lift our hands and praise God today. Praise God. Brother Jerry, would you come? Lift your voice in the spirit. Thank you, Lord.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Thank you, Father. If you have pain in your back, just lay your hands on your back right now. In the authority of the name of Jesus, I come against every back pain, every back pain, come out, come out, and again I say, come out, in Jesus' name. Every disc, every vertebra, be healed now in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. I send that word to you into your back right now to be healed. Pray over your esophagus, Thank you, Father. over your liver, over your kidneys, over your bowels. Be healed in the authority. Of, and there's healing happening right now in the authority. There's warmth coming into bodies right now in the name of Jesus. Satan, you take your hands off God's property. And you loose every man and you loose every woman. You loose them. Because they don't belong to you. They belong to God. Paid for at Calvary. I come against every heart problem. Every defibrillation problem. Every blood flow problem. Come out in the name of Jesus. Arterial sclerosis. Dissolve. Be healed today in the name of Jesus. Heart beat normally. Blood pressure, blood sugar, that which is too high, come down. That which is too low, come up and regulate. I send the word to you for healing. I rebuke every migraine. I rebuke every problem in your throat, in your chest, in your breathing. I rebuke emphysema. I rebuke asthma. I rebuke COPD, come out, now, in the name of Jesus. I rebuke every trace of cancer, cancer in the brain, cancer in the breast, cancer in the bone, cancer in the blood, cancer in the organs, come out. Every tumor, every mass, every growth, in the name of Jesus. You take your dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy hands off. In the name of Jesus. I pray for your hearing to be restored. Your, your station tube to open up. Your eardrum to be healed. I pray for your eyes to see. I rebuke every cataract. I rebuke every glaucoma. I rebuke every blurred vision in the name of Jesus. From the crown of your head even unto the soles of your feet. I take authority over that and commend it to come out of you. Now, lift your hands and put your faith out to God and say, Lord, I receive this. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. I pray for your feet. I pray for your legs. I pray for your knees. I pray for your hips. I pray for your shoulders and your elbows and your hands. I rebuke that pain. Come out in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are the healer. You said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And we claim that now. The violet, take it by force. It's ours. We receive it. And we declare that we shall never be the same again. In Jesus' mighty name. And that we'll take it home. For we have no copyright on what we deliver to you in this conference. No, there's no copyright on truth. And I thank you for it, Lord. It's it's truth, and truth must be preached. So take it, use it for the glory of God. And may the people be healed, delivered, and set free as a result. In Jesus' name, and let all the people say amen. Shout to the Lord with the voice of truth. Amen. Praise God. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Have you received? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Well, it's like sitting at the feet of oil robbers today in this session. Because we just learned what he taught his son. Amen. Let's take it and run with it. What do you say? Amen. Tonight, I want to encourage you to uh, be prayed up before you come here tonight. And uh, let's continue to do business for the Lord. Follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe it's going to be a an amazing time. Praise God.